Hi, I'm Dawn. And I'm Natasha. And this is On Behalf of All Women. What if we were entering into a new time? A time when the very systems of control and commerce that we had believed to be the status quo were somehow no longer relevant? What if we were faced with a new medium? A new network? Network, network, network. What if that time is now? Music. Now. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited. How about hey. you? <laughs> I am. How, how has your week been going? Because you know what? We talked on and off. But actually this week we talked less than we normally do. We did. I feel great and anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because when I spoke with you earlier today, I was thinking, oh, I haven't even spoken. I haven't talked to her like almost all week. I know. It's just funny. I, I, we, we've been just going gun-ho since we became, like, partners, literally talking all day, every single day. And now yeah. I think our schedules are changing and our, we're settling into our roles. And um, so it just looks different. It does. And it's funny because I think um, <laughs> for a quick second, it crossed my mind this morning. I'm like, oh, my God, is the business failing? <laughs> I know. I haven't talked to her all week. Are we, are we failing? Are we growing apart? I mean, what's happening? I know. It's so funny. It, but you know what? When they say that partnerships are like a marriage, they really are. You're like, I mean, is, is my partner okay? Is she satisfied over there in her role? You know? <laughs> did have those moments, but yes, um, you know, business partnerships, just like, I guess, a marriage, they, it would have yeah. ebbs and flows and different periods where you're having, you know, different types of communication, and I think yeah. right now, we've become so focused on, um, kind of laser focused on the five things we want to accomplish with Lioness, and we both have our marching orders, and so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I didn't really speak to you Monday, but I, all day Monday, I was working um on my some tasks that I had, you know, and they right. didn't require me to really communicate with you, but I was just grinding them out, just trying to get them done because I know that we, you know, we're having our weekly meetings, and I want to be able to say what I've accomplished at those meetings. So, um, right, which yeah, is so funny because so interesting. Now on Monday I didn't work. I didn't work on Monday. So when you ask, you like text me late Monday, like, "Hey, did you do X, Y, Z?" I thought, uh, uh, "No, I did Okay, I'm not <laughs> But then I got my ass up and I did it real quick, you know. And I felt like, really bad because, <laughs> but I felt really bad because I know that it's a holiday. You said you were gonna do some light work, maybe work on fun stuff, and I'm like, "Dang!" And now I'm asking her to um, stop whatever she's doing and. Um, you know, it didn't send this to me so that I could complete my work. So I thought, oh, that's kind of wrong, you know. No, it, <laughs> but it wasn't. It, it's because I reneged on what I said I was going to do. I thought, you know, you know what, I'm going to work. And then I started mopping. I started doing house stuff. I started watching movies. And I was like, no, I'm not working. And then I figured out, oh, yeah, that's why you want to do light stuff because you were supposed to take care of those invoices, you know. <laughs> yeah, and what what I remembered on, on Labor Day was that um, – I really enjoy, even historically when I worked a traditional job, I enjoy working on holidays because you don't get any emails that pull your focus. You don't get any calls that pull you away, and you're able to just get work done. And so um, I was like, yeah, I enjoy working on holidays Um, (laughs) because everybody else is off and nobody, you know, you don't get any distractions, you know. Oh, true. And it's funny because, so this week to me, it was just different period because, you know, I had been complaining anyway. I was like, last week was a, such a slow news week. And mm. I hadn't really been caught in a news cycle like that for a while. And it's true. In news, sometimes you have slow news weeks. Particularly, it's like, you know, getting to the end of summer, kids are starting to go back to school. I mean, professionals, a lot of us are still parents. And mm-hmm. so you do have a slow Newsweek, and so last week I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm scrambling to find news and 
you know, there was like a, a lull in like deadlines when stories were due for, from our writers and stuff. So I just was like, what the hell am I going to run? And then it was like, boom, what's the holiday? Now I'm like, oh, shit, like I got to get all this out. It's like, it's over. Now it's like the influx of stuff again. And so, you know what? It was a good reminder to, sometimes you just got to appreciate when you can get a little break. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, and I got in a little um, personal time. It was just a good reminder about mental health. Like, so here in Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, they just opened a new a casino. Uh, it's MGM. And um, I wandered down there this weekend, which is something that I don't normally do. There was a Stone Soul Festival going on. Um, I went over there as well. And so did you get to have any time to yourself this weekend where you did any fun stuff? Or? Well, I didn't have any time to myself, but I did. Um, yeah, I spent the weekend with my boyfriend, and we went to a cookout. That was fun. Um, and it was fun because just meeting – you know, going to a cookout with him and um, not knowing anybody at the cookout, I remembered, oh, I like meeting people <laughs> and, and, and they were playing so games. So I'm so crazy competitive that I fit right into that environment. You know, it was like the most fierce game of Uno you've ever, <laughs> you've oh, ever my played in your life. And so um, I had a lot of fun talking trash, which I, I excel at. And <laughs> even though I didn't win any of the games, I, you know, barely got under people's skin, and it was, it was a lot of fun. So. <laughs> Which is so funny because if you know me, then you know that I lose at all games, okay? But um, my older brother, Timothy, and I, sometimes we can get competitive over the stupidest thing, like, you know, hangman or something like that. I always lose in Scrabble. Like, people expect that, you know? But <laughs> so I was chuckling because... Don's like, yeah, no, you know, I'm competitive. She really is. We, so sometimes we work out of Upward Hartford, which is a really cool co-working space in Hartford, Connecticut. And one night, it was like a game night when we were working late. And we're like, oh, you know, let's play a game while we're working. And it was like the memory game, you know, where it's like, eh, eh. And you're like, oh, you know, Simon. Like, Simon. <laughs> Simon, thank you. And she has a, she's like, oh, you remember it? Oh, you remember it? Because that game, <laughs> I was actually pretty good. She's like, oh, you remember it? <laughs> It was shocking it was because Natasha was excelling at this game, and I, and I couldn't remember anything. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> See, that's the natural stalker in me, okay? I remember people's steps, okay? <laughs> and so it's interesting with this entrepreneurship journey for people if you're in a relationship and then you're also doing an entrepreneurship thing and maybe you're also potentially working another job, um, you know, I'm, I'm a professor at um, Hampshire College, and so school's starting up. And so just really trying to find time for yourself, um, mm. that's going to be my challenge for the fall, just finding just time for me. I'm not with my boyfriend. I'm not with, with you and my business partner. I'm right. with students. But I just, you know, have a moment to myself. So I'm really looking at um, – I may take up yoga. I, I'm really looking at trying to build in those moments for myself into my, into my schedule. Yeah, I am a person that I rejuvenate by being alone. And um, if I do not have time literally to myself, I feel overwhelmed and just like nutty, nutty, mm. and which is funny because like if I go to a networking event, any type of event, I'm around a bunch of people, I'm like, I'm good for the month. I'm <laughs> saying like that went really well along that. It, it, it actually drains me of my energy, you know. Um, but then, there, you know, the extroverts that you get rejuvenated when you're around people, you know. Right. Uh, which sounds kind of like that because you're always like, oh, I just like going to this. And then two seconds later after she's there, she's like, hey! <laughs> she's like talking and smiling again. <laughs> I do get some energy from being around people, but I've learned that there's, I need a long time as well. It's probably not as much as yeah. you do. Um, but I, I do sometimes just need a minute to myself. And that's to do whatever I want to do, whether that's take a nap, uh, play a game on my phone, um, do some visualization exercises, <laughs> or just, just whatever it is, you know, that I, that I do need a couple days, probably a couple days out of the month where, you know, I'm just, I'm just alone and I can just um, do whatever I want to do, you know. Right. It was funny because so 
I'm like, you know what, let me go out, let me get around people. And I go down to the MGM. I'm people watching, first of all. That's like one of my favorite pastimes. And I'm watching people, you know, put stuff in slots. And I thought, you know what, maybe one day I might come down here and blow like 10 bucks worth of gambling. I'm not really a gambler. Uh, I'm like, you know what, <laughs> my life is a gamble right now anyway. Because you live a start on life. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't know that I need to be putting tons of money down here. But I, I think that uh, – I might like to try it, but it just—it was a reminder just about. And Don and I have talked about this before. That to me, startups and venture capital—it's like high-stakes gambling, and nobody likes to say that, but it is. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times you're not getting your money back. Right. And, you know, some of these startups, particularly the tech ones, they're like the really captivating slot machines, you know, with the flashing lights, and they're telling you all about <laughs> how they're going to dominate the space, and, you know, some investors are sitting there drooling, like, you know, um, <laughs> like they're in front of a slot machine. And you, you give your money, and you don't get it back, and today – um, there was a really in-depth piece, actually, in the Wall Street Journal about Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes. And I know you and I okay. have been speaking about her recently because there was a documentary that I caught about her and the gentleman from the Post who had, like, did this big expose on her. And so, like, right now they're down to literally less than a dozen people. The CEO that's there is basically getting ready to liquidate the last bit of money that's there that's going to go out to some some vendors and stuff like that that just have not been paid. Uh, and for those who are, who are aware of Theranos, they, they were the startup founded by Elizabeth Holmes. Um, they were creating lab tests that basically also just like one prick of blood or something like that. You could do all these lab tests, right? And so it was supposed to revolutionize lobotomy and, and tech and the way that these things were being done. And um, phlebotomy, I said lobotomy. Isn't that what your brain <laughs> it is. And the professor is over there just like this, like, um, yep, you just like hang it up. It's like, yeah, okay. Slow <laughs> body, okay? <laughs> See, that's why you can't trust your partner all the time, okay? Just, just leave me out there. You're like, yeah, Oh, come my on. goodness. I didn't catch it because I knew what you meant to say. So I okay, because we're saying, okay. <laughs> but so basically what was crazy was, uh, so the getting ready anyway, to liquidate this thing, they lost, like, I guess, like, the people who put in the most money into this company, they lost, like, basically $1 billion, Don. Mm. $1 billion with a B. I mean, and I guess there were even, like, <laughs> I'm like, what? There was even, like, a biochemist, which I didn't know of, who he worked at that company, who I guess in, like, 2013, he ended up committing suicide. Um, now, in this article, they're saying that that suicide had to do with the fact that he was distraught about, like, the fear. The, there was, like, a culture, I guess, of, like, fear and secrecy and the lack of progress that they were making with, like, this tech. And so it was, like, this really scary story because she and, like, her former boyfriend now, they're, they're being brought off of, like, criminal charges and they each, each could face, like, 20 years in prison and all this kind of stuff. And so it just went back to, like, this high-stakes gambling, right? Because basically, mm-hmm. you got these people who are drooling over the fact that we hit the jackpot by, by fighting this lady. Right. Like, at what part in that journey when you were pouring money into this where you were like, hey, let me see some goddamn results? Um, well, you know, it's funny because so on the – on the side of the entrepreneur, you know, in order to go out and raise these funds, you've got to be charismatic, and you've got to you've got to be able to sell. You've got to be able to sell your idea, your vision, and that's whether the vision is legitimate or some sort of scam, you know. And so right. I think that, um, you know, because like when you watch those shows like American Greed, which I watch a lot, um, the that excitement of the person is, it is almost like a gambler you know the excitement of this could be my big win this is going to be the investment that gets me 10 times my investment back uh 10 times return on my investment um they get so excited about hitting big that they're willing to overlook a lot of um a lot of details you know it's just yeah. like um 
you know, because I had gone down to the casino the other day, um, you know, the Natasha mentioned a new casino downtown Springfield, and when I walked in, there was a woman there that I knew. She was sitting at the um, at one of the slot machines, and she was saying, yeah, you know, I came down here, I put, um, I came down with 200, I took out another 100, I put it in the machine. I won, you know, then I was up. I was up to 396, which, you know, that's more than the 300 that she put in. And she goes, and I just sat here and, and gambled it all away because she was looking a little, just a little frustrated when I, when I walked in. And then she was just like, I know, so you're going home now? She's like, oh, no, I'm going to win that money back. You know? yeah. <laughs> she, she had the belief. It's, I never knew the outcome of the story, but she had the belief and the determination that she was going to win that money back, so I'm sure she put, like, a few hundred more dollars in that machine. And so I think that is the same exact thing that happens with these investors because they're supposed to be doing due diligence. They're supposed to be doing, um, you know, these check-ins to make sure that things are going according to the reports that the entrepreneur is given. But, I mean, sometimes the, the, the business itself is so sexy and the promise of these huge returns is just so appealing that people put their blinders on, you know. And it is, it is stemming from a certain level of greed, you know. And I, for me, like, that is one of the things that kind of pisses me off because so the, the, some of these startups, you know, especially the ones about tech, I mean, freaking forget about it. They, <laughs> you haven't sold a damn thing, Okay. <laughs> So <laughs> you're, you're, I'm standing up here and telling you why this is going to be amazing. I mean, we don't all know the startup game. Why this is going to be amazing, what the hell I'm going to do with your money, how your money is going to help me do X, Y, or Z. And then here at the end is this pot of gold. This is your pot of gold that you're going to get at the end, okay? Right. But yet, if you come – because Don and I, and we've had this conversation, and we've been in this situation many times – if we say, hey, this is the revenue that we've generated, and this is not just us, this is a lot of women, because we're going to get into that about unicorns versus zebra companies. This is how much money I'm generating, um, and with your money, we could go do X, Y, or Z. It's not as sexy, right? Then the investor's like, I mean, well, that's all you generated? I mean, how come that's all you generated? Right. I mean, you know, maybe you don't need investment. I think maybe you might need a micro loan or a loan. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> what? But this college kid who hasn't sold a damn thing, he's rocking his freaking senior year hoodie that he's wearing every day while he's building this shit in his garage, that is a safe bet. Right. It, it blows my mind. Yeah, it's <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of crazy and it's almost um I mean when you start getting into things like bias, unconscious bias, and, you know, all those kind of things, because it makes you wonder if if you see someone that kind of looks like you, reminds you of you, your sons, your nephews, um, and you know what you're capable of, and you know what you were capable of, and what you would have been capable of if someone invested some money into you, then you're like, yeah, this, this can go. You know, I like the idea, and when I look at this person, they represent something that I think, or somebody that I think that could be successful, you know, and so um, it is kind of crazy because here we are, you know, we're, we're not college kids. We have experience and right. long careers and, you know, not that long. Because <laughs> I'm not that old. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Natasha thinks he's a millennial, so it's okay. <laughs> but, um, I identify with them, okay? <laughs> okay, all right, all right, whatever works for you, you know. It, um, you know, age is fluid, age is fluid. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but then it seems like, you know, sometimes when we go to pitch, we're being asked to, to prove so much more, you know. And um, oh, even yeah. with working with mentors recently, they're like, well, no, you have to really prove how you're going to make this money. You have to show the, all the things that we have to show. And I'm like, well, if we can show all that, then we don't need investment because that means we figured out everything with the business model. We, you know what I'm saying? That we really wouldn't need right. investment at that point if we figured everything out because – we would be making the ton of money that we needed, you know. And so it's um, – and we did ask point blank. We've asked several people point blank, you know, why is it that you're needing so much from us? And um, right. I, don't, I don't think that we've got an answer that I've been really satisfied with. I don't think we've got an answer to that. Which, no, what, we, we haven't. We're going to bring a VC onto the show, which, which we will. 
to, to talk about some of these things, not just, you know, in relation to YNS, but just period, you know, right. have some candid conversation right. around that. Because I think there's a lot of bullshit that goes on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is. And, and you know, and, and at some point you start to get this out of, and, you know, women are feeling this, people of color are feeling this, that, you know, there's this big game going on and where you're just, just, you're just being told, hey, you can't play. You're being, you're not even Thank being you. last for the dodgeball game. You're just yeah. not being picked. You're being told, hey, you, you, you're not good for this game. Go over there and play hopscotch. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> Which gets back to the gambling, right? Because you know how they have, like, high rollers, right? Mm-hmm. Or even, like, some of these illegal, ga- you know, gambling rings. Not anybody could just go play at these things. Right? They're like, hey, you have to meet these specs in order to sit at this table, and if you don't, mm-hmm. then, then you don't get to play. And I thought right. there is that. Well, we know that there is that, because that's one of the reasons that YNS is here, to help female founders you know, bring a gender parity to entrepreneurship, because we're not being allowed to play at these tables. Right. You know? You don't want to gamble with us. And, and it, I think it's interesting, and we talked about this on, on another episode, the fact that, hey, when you do gamble on us, you get more ROI. Absolutely. And there's a lot of evidence out there that says that a lot of research, and, um, I mean, even, you know, in the more famous game of investors, um, Kevin Leary from Shark Tank was saying, hey, I make more money off of female entrepreneurs when I invest in them. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, even with the, that data coming out, because, you know, some of the things that are – kind of inherent in women work for us with um, entrepreneurship. So we, we do take more calculated risks. You know, we don't necessarily, and I'm generalizing, but, you know, we, some of those things that we can be critiqued for in the business world or in the professional setting, uh, being a little more cautious, thinking things through a little bit more, um, those really work for us on the business end. So when you give us your dollars, we're good stewards of those dollars. We're very aware that we just got money from a person. We don't just want to throw it away or, um, you know, burn through it. We want to make that money make money. And so um, that kind of cavalier thing that you can get with men sometimes is, hey, we, we burn through this money. We're having a ton of parties. Yeah, we're, we're working on the business, but we're burning through money, and we're just going to ask for more money. You don't get that necessarily as much with female entrepreneurs. It's so true, and um, we, we had in our white paper, um, How to Close the Gender Gap, we talked about this. So there is a whole movement going on. Um, it's called Zebras Unite. There's actually a website that you can go to. It is, I think, zebrasunite.com. And these women say, hey, they start talking about, you know, zebra companies versus unicorns, because it seems like all the VCs you're chasing unicorns. And one thing about unicorns is, one, they're rare, but two, they don't really freaking exist, <laughs> you know. Um, but, a zebra, but a zebra company, you know, it's a company that is not as sexy as, you know, these unicorns. But the fact is they're sustainable, they're profitable, um, they're, they are rare. They have, um, damn, what's the term, reoccurring revenue, you know what I'm saying? Um, oh, recurring, yes. Mm-hmm. There's about 9 million women-owned firms in the United States, Mm -hmm. and they generate about at least a million dollars. And if they um, got investment, they might be able to turn a bunch of those companies into freaking unicorns. True. And I think, you know, it's a twofold thing because, um, you know, the data says that women are receiving investment at a, you know, much lesser rate than their male counterparts. Um, and then you also have the data that says that not as many women are going to pitch. And so we know just from talking to folks at readlinessmagazine.com and kind of talking to those women over there, um, many women, it takes a lot for them to even just consider themselves an entrepreneur. Right. Forget I'm building a unicorn. You know, you know, women that are running businesses that are making money and you speak with them and then they're like, well, I just, this is just something I do. I'm like, well, you're an entrepreneur. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, you're an entrepreneur. And so I think there's some work to do on our end, too, just as far as getting women to think that way. Yes, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm running an enterprise. And then really looking at the enterprise and saying, you know what, it can be bigger. How big can I make this? You know, right. in having those lioness-sized dreams, having that um, 
that goal that no, this is this can be a unicorn company. But the first step is to say, yeah, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, and then just getting some maybe some mentorship or just some something that can help you really see the true potential of the enterprise that you're running. And you know, so that you can really start going you know, going to accelerators, going to pitch, going to um to play this game, get in there. You know, you have to get in the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I agree totally totally with what you just said. If you go to play the game and you're rejected, and this is where, you know, Donna and I have these conversations where we're really trying to head for 2018 and 2019, is start calling out people when they reject you from playing in those games. You know, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're a VC firm. How many, how many women-led startups have you invested in this year? How many of those startups were led by people of color? Um, right. how, are you, how are you diversifying your deal flow? I mean, with all of these things, because I, I think that sometimes, you know, people, they say for a long time, you know, because uh, it's a buzz thing happening now, you know, you've got to diversify, you've got to diversify. Then you begin to pick and choose which people you, you want to diversify with. Mm-hmm. Then when people show up, you want diversity, but then when people show up, they're still treated like shit, or because or the atmosphere is still really uncomfortable, you know. Right, and, right. Um, accountability, I think, is a two-way street. We have to ask women, hey, are you going after venture capital? Why aren't you? Um, and then. So holding the female entrepreneur accountable, but then also the people who are backing and giving the money. And I know we also talked a lot about getting more women investors involved. Um, mm-hmm. You don't have to be a millionaire to invest in startups. Um, and, and we could get into this on, a, on another call when I actually have the facts in front of me. Um, but we do at Lioness, I think we just did a few weeks ago, on what it actually takes to be an angel investor how can you wisely take some of your money and, and invest it that way? Because um, right. people are doing it all the time. Don's always talking about, you know, wealth creation around Lioness um, and the fact that people don't know how to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's not something that's just common knowledge. You're not taught that. You know, most people are not even taught how to just balance a checkbook, you know what I mean? Unless your parents are right. teaching you that. So that, that making that step, that next step from just getting by to, you know, creating wealth and actually generating wealth um, for, from your business and for your family and for, you know, to have this legacy that you can leave to the next generations. I think um, all those conversations are crazy important. And a lot, you know, they're being had, I guess, but um, – I don't know. I don't know if they are being had at the frequency that they should be. You know, um, yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I, th- you know, th- I think that there are a lot of things that we learn in our home by things that go unsaid. Because I'm not always sure that people who have wealth verbally teach their children about it either. I think mm. sometimes children who may be born into wealth, you learn about wealth through all of the unspoken things, you know, um, how you see your parents behave about money, you know, in terms of, like, your energy that you begin to have for from a young age. Right. Um, maybe, you know, when you visit your parent to work day, you might learn a little bit about their business in an office. So from a young age, your mind is exposed to business ownership rather than being an employee. I think all of those things play factors in, how we think about wealth, or if we even think about it at all. Right. Um, because when I think about, you know, my family, there wasn't, of course, I mean, you're an American family. Your mother tells you that money doesn't grow on trees. Got it. <laughs> okay. I used to like verbal, verbal things like that that you were taught. Um, but then I just think about all the unspoken things, you know, and I knew my parents didn't teach me about credit. The only thing they told me was, Credit is bad, like you get in debt, but they never told me about all the benefits of good credit, and right. this is how you manage credit. Um, but I got all that, th- all the other stuff about money through all the unspoken behaviors that my parents had about money. You know what I'm saying? And so I always right. think that that's interesting to think about kids who grow up around money and wealth. 
is the message that their parents give them about money? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, I know that uh, Laura Langmeyer, um, she calls herself a millionaire maker, and she teaches people some of these wealth principles. I actually had gone to one of her weekend seminars, which is where I learned a lot about, you know, these wealth principles and things that I just didn't know about. But um, she talks about being really transparent with your kids about money and just how, you know, when I grew up, the money, the, the money issues in the family or the money management in the family, it wasn't open for discussion with the kids, you know. Like, right. it, was, it was adult stuff, mind your business. It wasn't um, anything that was okay for me to engage with my mom about to, to find out, like, I mean, how much money do you make? And, you know, all this kind of stuff. Right. That, was, right. that was off limits. And um, she's like, no, sit your kids down as you're managing your money, show them, be candid so that they understand that money is a real thing. You can generate more, you know. And I think that, um, you know, showing them how to manage it, that, hey, we're proactive. We manage our money in this house, and this is how we do it. And so it was really different thinking. I hadn't heard that before. Um, mm. And so I think there probably are some people who are out there actually you're right, absolutely, in terms of we pick things up kind of through osmosis about the energy and how people are behaving about money. But then there are, you know, some people out there who are, no, you're talking to your kids about right. money. And you're talking to them about how to manage it. And you're talking to them that, hey, it's not this finite thing. Yes, maybe my check, what I get at work, this is what I make. But I always have the ability to go out and make more money. Like, no, it doesn't mm -hmm. grow on trees, but it is um, – it is out there for us to go and manifest or go and make it. You know, you can go make money. And when you're in these wealth workshops, they never tell you cut back. You know, so when you go into a budgeting um, workshop, they teach you about budgeting, saving. They do tell you cut back on this, cut back on that so that you can save for this couch or this house or whatever it is you're saving for. When you're in a wealth um, workshop, they don't ever tell you to cut anything back. They tell you to look at what you have. Um, right. What are the things you want to do? Hey, go make more money to, to, so that you can do the other things you want to do. That's what they tell you. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I should go make more, more money. And you start thinking, how can I generate more money? They never right. say cut back. It's more of a lack mindset. So you cut back so that you can live inside this tight budget, and you're yeah. in that belief that money is finite and you can't ever get any more. And um, But that's actually just not true. That's <laughs> not true. You can go make I'll more money. I'll forget. The first person who ever said that to me, well, he said it to me in a dickish way, but I still love you, Marcus, okay, my, my former trainer. Uh, <laughs> this was, like, years ago, okay, after my dude, he had just, like, totally totally slaughtered me in the gym, okay. And so I'm exhausted, and it's at the end of the training session, I'm like, hey, you know what, I'm probably going to cut back a couple days a week that I'm coming here anyway because my money's tight, you know. And he's like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because cause now a girl, mind you, I'm fucking with his money now. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna um, cut back um, a couple days just because you know money is tight. He was like, hey, you gonna make more money? <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, what? He was like, if it's tight, you gonna make more money, you know? And um, you go find you know more past the cash and. <laughs> I you know, kind of laughed it off, but I thought about that on my way home, you know, that, hey, my God, he's right. Go make more, more money. And um, I had, it, was, it was the year that I had left my job to go try to do Lioness full-time. I was, like, taking this big leap. And so mm -hmm. I thought, you know what, I got to conserve my money because I had put, when I had left my job, I had put, like, so much savings away. Now, they tell you to try mm -hmm. to have like a few years savings together, and I did not, but I had enough to carry me through um, through the end of the year I had saved, but I had secured um, some freelance contracts where I knew I was going to be good for at least another year, a year and a half. But um, I thought, yeah, he's probably right. Yeah, go, go make more money, not conserve you know, what you have, start shopping stuff out of your life. And to your point, because it was actually something that I loved doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's one of those things that, and it's really a shift in mindset for people. And 
I mean, it, it, I know that my mom was always like, hey, if I can't make the money I need to, to support my life in one job, then it's just not going to happen because she just wasn't interested in working two jobs or doing anything part-time. You know, it's, you yeah. know, we all make our choices and there's trade-offs in life. And so her thing was I got to find a one job that pays me enough um, to do the things that I want to do and have the lifestyle I want. And, you know, I, I can subscribe to that, you know what I'm saying, because even yeah. now – I want to, we want to make Lioness, you know, do what it needs to do so that we can have our lifestyles. It's not that we want to have 10 different, 10 different things to do, you know what I mean? But right. if you're working that one job and there's no opportunities for advancement, there's no really way for you to get more money there, but you, there's a lifestyle that you want to live or things you want to do, you got to start thinking about how can I generate, how can I generate more money, you know, and, and how can I start this kind of wealth path. And one of the things that I learned was that, you know, in terms of your savings, yes, you have the long-term savings, you're saving for a vacation or a house or whatever it is, but then you also have like a wealth account and you put money in there and when it hits a certain amount of money, you go and make an investment and that is where you start right. making your money work for you. And I thought, oh, yeah, that makes sense, you know? And so um, that's kind of how I have my finances set up now where I do have – and you can do it with your business finances. That's um, how I look to manage the, man, the, excuse me, the Lioness books as well, where you have savings for specific things. And maybe there's a jar for education. So we know if Natasha wants more education around publishing or if I want more education around being a CEO, that we have money saved to do that. And that we mm-hmm. also have a wealth account for the business. So hey, the business can start making some small investments. And so, um, and then there's some passive income that's coming in, you know, besides right. the, the money that's coming from the business model that, um, you know, that can help us build the business. So I think, you know, just finding out, learning about all that stuff. And, and it was one of those things because when I first went to a workshop like that, then it really was happenstance. I had been at a, a conference for co- coaching, and I was um, – learning some skills on, you know, honing my coaching skills. And then when I was there, they gave me a free ticket to go to this other, um, or maybe it was buy one, get one or something. But I, I was introduced to Laurel Langmire, and I went to her workshop. And I sat there, and my mind was blown because I thought, how would I have known this? Right. <laughs> how would right. I have gotten this information? And I don't know how I would have gotten it, you know, and um, – and she's also the person who shifted my mindset. Yeah, you're running a business, but hey, you're selling. And she's just like, cut the crap, you know, cut the shit. You right. need to go out and sell. And she made us sell that weekend. Hey, what can you do that makes money and go sell it to the people in here? And so sometimes, you know, I know there's a lot of people who want to start a business. They're not sure what to do. Uh, sometimes it's about a passion. Sometimes it's about your you're solving a problem. You see a need in the world and you're trying to fill that need. And then sometimes it's just – what are you good at? I realized as I was going around, because I thought I was going to try to sell little coaching sessions that weekend, <laughs> and um, <laughs> as I started talking to people and they were giving me their, you know, 10-second, 15-second elevator pitch or 30 seconds, I didn't know what they were talking about. People do not know how to communicate. And I thought, oh. And so I would repeat back to them. I said, is this what you're saying? And I would say it very concisely, and they would say, yes, that's exactly it. So I changed right on the spot. I was like, you know what I'm selling? I will put people's elevator pitch together for them. That's and so brilliant. I, and I did, and I and I made the money, and it covered my hotel stay and the airplane stay that weekend. Wow. In the airplane, you know, in the flight. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. So it told me, like, no, you can't. If, you, if someone dropped you off a place, you could go make money. And, yeah. um and just thinking, like, yeah, I was selling something, you know. <laughs> so I think that's yeah. something that um, – Sometimes entrepreneurs, you don't want to say that. It's like a dirty word, you know. You don't want to be like, I'm selling a thing. But you're selling a thing. <laughs> and um, yeah. and you're, you're, selling, you're selling an idea, you're selling a product, you're selling a service, and, it, and there's nothing corrupt about it. I mean, it's just, it's just what you're doing. Yeah, and I think for me, because growing up, I just always hated the word sales. Like, you, I mean, you always think of, like, Sleazy car salesman. Shout out to car salesman. Not all of are sleazy, <laughs> but I'm talking about like the stereotypical one that's always like shown on film and stuff. I th- I just always thought ew, but um, 
taking the leap to become self-employed, it makes you really start seeing you know, the work that you do. It's more so like, this is what I'm good at. This is the value that is bringing someone. Why the heck won't they pay for it? They will pay for it. They will you tell them, hey, this is all it's worth, all being whatever the price that you choose, they will say, okay, either they want it or they don't. And it's Absolutely. okay if they don't, that it's not for you. Or maybe it's not for you right now. Okay. It doesn't yeah. devalue what you're offering, you know? And I think that and that what you just said was so priceless because um, so many people, especially when you're first starting out, and I did it. When I was first starting out my coaching practice, I did it. You know, maybe I gave somebody praise. Yeah. Or actually how I did it, how I got my very first client was I offered it basically for free, and then I said, well, I need to charge a sentence so you take it seriously. So I charged a $25 a session, which is like nothing. And... Um, it was like way less than any coaching expert would tell you to charge. And um, I think we have that habit. We, we give somebody a price and they say they can't do it, so we start discounting the price to something they can do. Yeah. When, in fact, if the person can't do it, they're not your customer right exactly. now. Exactly. You know, exactly. the most brilliant thing I ever, ever heard, I was at this Masters of Manifestation kind of week-long retreat in Santa Barbara. It was beautiful. It was so good and just um, oh. also brutal because there was all this soul-searching. <laughs> there was great. all this self-reflecting that I had to do, but it, it, was, it was wonderful. And um, Marsha Weeder, um, she is a coach. Um, Oprah dumped her, you know, America's Dream Coach, and she was facilitating with her workshop. And she was saying that, hey, I'm not training because I have a coaching certification through her. I'm moving away from doing these live events where I train coaches. You know, I'm, I'm changing that into an online program. But what people can do with me is they can either do one of these mastermind groups with me, and I'm taking 10 people, and we work together for a certain amount of time, or you can do come to my house. We'll do one day powerful training and coaching all day, and that's going to be um, I think that was twenty five thousand dollars, and then the or maybe it was like twenty five thousand dollars for the day with her, and then it was um, maybe fifteen thousand dollars I think for the mastermind group, and she would say, hey, um, <laughs> what I'm doing? I'm not doing a lot of payments, but today if you sign up, just about fifty people in the room. She said, if you sign up today. I think the deposit was either 7000 for one and 10000 for the other. And she said, you know, so I'm not doing all these payments and being reflectable with this. This is what it is. And she said, so if you don't have 7000 today or you don't have 10000 today, then um, this is not for you right now. And she said, you know, that's okay. And I thought, right. oh, my goodness. First of all, a bunch of people went back there and bought it. Okay. <laughs> and secondly, it let me off the hook because, listen, I didn't have 7000 or did I have 10000 right. that day. And I said, you know what, it's not for me right now. And I felt fine about right. it and I went about my business. And, but I thought that was such a beautiful sales pitch because, um, you know, you were able to identify in that moment whether you were one of her customers or not. And so, and it discouraged me from going up to say, ah, oh, but I have 2500 Can I still get in? Because she told you up front, no, you can't. No. <laughs> this is right. the deposit. Right. You know, and so it helped me understand that I wasn't her customer for that particular product right now. And um, once I, and I adopted that mindset, so I had raised my prices a lot, and I would talk to people, and they would say, oh, I can't do it. And I'd say, okay, you know, it's not for you right now. Let's keep in touch. I had my standard. This is the price. And so I, and I was vetting, you know, if I talked to the person, hey, they're not my customer, because my customer does not blink twice at that price. Right. You know, they don't, they don't flinch. They're like, oh, cool, here's, here's the chat. And so it, it's for entrepreneurs, I think sometimes, and, and we know if we get into a target market conversation, which are some of the most annoying conversations that you can ever have with a freaking entrepreneur, because oh, yeah. especially because they're like, I mean, no, it's for everybody. Hey, 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 it's not for everybody. <laughs> Maybe everybody can use it, and that's okay. But... Um, you, who is the target? Who are you targeting? Even when you look at Coca-Cola, they are a company that has a product that literally everybody can have, except for like a baby or something, you know, or if you have some health concerns. Everybody can drink that. But when you look at their commercials, every commercial isn't targeting everybody. This commercial is targeting kids in the summer. 
this commercial over here is targeting couple. You know, like they have, they know that, hey, we're, in order to get people to buy it, we've got to specifically target a certain type of person and talk to them in a way that makes them want to buy it. So um, when you get into these target market um, discussions with a lot of entrepreneurs, I was just in a workshop the other day and at a breakout table with um, some other entrepreneurs, they didn't want to, they didn't want to commit to any specific target market. And it's hurting you because that's what, what happens is when you have no idea who your target market is, you're like, this is for everybody. You have no way to know when your customer has come to you or not, you know? Right. So if you exactly. are telling somebody a price, this makes you want to discount it because you're like, oh, no, well, this is for them too. Okay, let me discount. No, that person is not your customer. And so I think, um, and that's probably a whole different topic for a whole different podcast just in terms of target market and um, really yeah. honing in on your customer personas and everything because it's something that, and this has been forever, um, that mm. people just don't want to pin it down. And it's so, it's so prevalent that the workshop, the woman facilitating the workshop was like, hey, don't tell me it's everybody. You know? <laughs> she you said that. And then she had to get it through your thick skull that not everybody, even if it hurts your feelings, not everybody wants what the hell you have. It's just a fact. One of the ladies at my table was a yoga instructor, and she said, no, this is really for everybody. And so I said, well, is it? <laughs> and, she said, and she said, yeah. I said, well, you have people in your classes. What do they look like, you know? And right. I said, because they're probably, most of them are probably Caucasian. And I mean, not trying to be funny, but just what are the demographics of the people that come there? Mm -hmm. I said, they're probably um, affluent, they, you know, middle class. Is it because a, a poor person, a lower-class person doesn't come? The class is like, what, $14 a piece or something? And she's like, well, yeah, but I mean, but no, but if somebody can't, you know, afford that, I say just come anyway. You know, you don't have to pay. I said, right, but that's not your target customer because if they don't pay, you don't, you don't make, you can't sustain the business. Right. She's like, well, yeah, but you could tell that she was still having trouble really embracing <laughs> what I was saying. If you right. have customers that already come, like this woman, you had a functioning and a successful and a thriving business, you can look at who's in there to see who your target market is, you know, who, who's yeah. in the class. You know, and even though you have a class and you know what the demographics of that class was, she was still very committed to saying everyone is my target customer. And that stuff is like you just want to smack people, like stop it, stop it. Yeah, because the other thing is, too, when you have that I serve everybody mentality, it's freaking exhausting mm -hmm. to yourself because every day you're working with no focus. Uh, you're trying to market. It means your marketing has no focus. It, it, that right. is just like your business is bleeding. Mm -hmm. You know, it has, it has no focus, and there is nothing wrong with demographics. You know that there's nothing wrong with it. That's why everywhere you go, they ask for them. You can't fill right. out or apply to anything, and they don't ask you, how old are you? What's your race? How much money do right. you make? Where do you live? Right. Why yeah. the hell do you think people are collecting that information? Exactly. The government to, to um, everybody. I mean, Mass Mutual, not Mass Mutual, MGM, they, this is a laugh, okay? They give out um, – um, Rewards card, so you you get bonus points, okay? <laughs> and so Don's already chuckling. We went there. Uh, this is like the next day after the grand opening, and we're like, you know what? Let's sign up for these free keyword free bonus cards. They one of those demographics. The lady was like, can I see your driver's license? And I thought, for what? But okay. And I gave her my license, and she was like, you know what? I can't sign you up right now because your license is expired. And I was like, it is, because it was like two weeks <laughs> after my birthday, and I was like, oh shoot, you know what? It expired on my birthday. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, so as soon as you re-up your license and bring it back, and I, you know, I'm happy to sign you up. Dawn was getting signed up next to me, and she was kind of looking like, what? Because I was like, how are you getting rejected? Because I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, how do you get rejected for a free card? Because I just wanted Dawn to kind of take her stuff and go to the side. I was like, um, what is happening? <laughs> and so it was it's just so funny because I'm like, what? But um, so, so kudos to that lady. Thank you for reminding me to, to re-up my license. But um, it was just a, a reminder that 
they want your information. They want to know your street. They want to identify you. They want all that demographic information for a reason, you know. So mm -hmm. um, grocery stores collect those things. Everybody collects them because it gives them information on their customer. So you should definitely, if you have a business, be collecting all of that information. So I guess as we transition out of this, to an exit. So so clever. <laughs> um, she thinks she's so clever. I, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting. So um, there there are laws about media companies um, becoming these really big conglomerates. Like you can't own so many media companies, particularly in in a in one market, mm -hmm. um, and then uh, and then across those markets, if that makes any sense. So I can't like have the, a really big daily newspaper plus a major radio station plus you know this really big internet company because you start to get into um, the powers that be. Let's say now you can do a lot of. Um, you can do a lot of really targeted messaging. You can do really shitty things to people, like you know, shut people out, shut different voices out. A lot of things mm -hmm. can happen that way. I never, ever thought about that in startup land. Hmm. So the Guardian, a lot of people have been talking lately about exits, right? And before it would be, I hope to be acquired by, you know, I might try to sell what I, this really cool product to Coke or something like that. Mm -hmm. What's happening now is those unicorn startups that we were shitting on earlier. <laughs> um, we love you and we use your product, but those same, those same unicorns are starting to play that big conglomerate game. So think about how many companies now you're like, damn, I'm building this tech app and I hope that Google buys it. Right. Right? Rather than a, a, another larger company. What ends up happening is, you start creating these mega companies that are just swallowing up innovation. It's kind mm -hmm. of scary, and I never, it had never crossed my mind before. And so a good example was The Guardian did this really in-depth piece on, hey, um, you're, you're doing a lot of uh, power consolidation, right? So an uh, example that they gave was um, Facebook, basically, you know, they see something really cool happening, they're like, yeah, I'm going to go buy Instagram. Then remember they bought like the, um, oh, I believe it's with a V, but it's a virtual reality company, a tech startup that was like killing it, and they bought it. And then um, I guess in the beginning they gave a nice nudge to like Snapchat, like, hey, we'll buy you, you know, and Snapchat was right. kind of like, nah, nah, we're good. And um, Facebook was kind of like, oh, yeah? So they basically went and cloned all Snapchat's like, right. which I guess had like a really negative impact on, on Snapchat. I mean, they're still a multi-million-dollar business, but I guess it, it, it hurt them. And right. so it makes you think about, because Amazon's doing that too, right? They're going and oh, they're yeah. snatching up other, com other companies. And Amazon's like, hey, you don't have to watch Netflix. We have our own online streaming now. You know? So it's yeah, having the opposite effect. <laughs> Oh, is it? Oh, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, there's some good stuff, uh, but there's also a lot of just crap on there, in my, in my opinion. Yeah. But it gets you really thinking about, you know what, you, you're not allowed to do that in media companies. What effect right, is that going to have on – Exactly. What effect does that have on the startup, in the startup ecosystem? Where, because oh, yeah. A good point that they made was when people work, because when you, you keep buying up those companies like that, you take all those employees, those employees aren't going anywhere. Whereas, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes can be made because you're, work, you're an average Joe working at a company, you're dissatisfied, I want to leave. You think of some really cool innovation and you're gone. You know what I'm saying? And right. so what happens when you have these major companies that are trying to innovate, but they buy up other people who are innovating. It was a scary right. thought. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because, yeah. Yeah, and then what happens to the new, that new person who is trying to innovate, they can't really compete with you. You know what I mean? If, I, if I'm Uber and I'm, like, bought up by Amazon or something, it, well, just an example, and then, 
Lyft, I'm Lyft over here. You know, can I really compete with Uber now that it has all that, <laughs> the power of Amazon behind it? So what does it do for competition exactly. in the space? Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really interesting conversation. And you probably will see some regulations coming down, I, I would hope, um, because, I, you know, people are afraid of these, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, the Facebooks of the world. So I think maybe we'll start to see some, some regulations come in because it's just like with um, the phone companies. You know, they got big, 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 and then they were, like, decentralized because the gov- people are like, wait a minute, <laughs> there's no – like customers have no choices, <laughs> you know, they have to go to Bell Atlantic or, you know, Verizon or whatever, whatever. so we need to deregulate. So it'll be interesting to see what type of legislation comes out. Um, I mean, I guess it's really still early. People are probably just starting to recognize that the potential problems. Uh, interesting. I, I thought it was, especially because, you know, you hear a lot of talk before about, you know what, because you want to take this company public, you know, as, as a potential exit, but now... Yeah, you do hear startups in their pitch like, and I hope Facebook buys us. You know what I'm saying? Or, or, mm-hmm. or, and not to throw Facebook under the bus, but we know that there are other, you know, companies that are doing stuff like that. Um, I, so I just thought it was an interesting, weird thing to, to, for all of us to kind of keep our eyes on um, yeah. and to see where, where that really goes. And this guy, um, uh, his name's something Reed. No, Reed Hoffman. his <laughs> name. Reed Hoffman, he, he, he's the guy who hosts the podcast Masters of Scale. He had a really cool um, episode about the fact, which I, I, I didn't hear the whole thing. If you know me, Don, Don hates it. I'm a person, I listen to like 75% of something, and then I turn it off. <laughs> and I just like the last Or less, so even movies. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but he was talking about that um, – we know that nine out of ten startups fail, you know, and the ones that do hang around for a bit, how they're still being led by their founders. And I thought that that was a really, a really interesting idea. Uh, people say that it could, le- it could um, I guess, harm your sustainability in the end um, and, and to keep mm. you from turning into like a long-standing thing. So a good example that he gave was like Microsoft. Yeah, it was founded by... Um, Gates, but Gates isn't the CEO of it anymore. Okay. And it made me think, I'm like, shit, you know what? We are always two steps ahead, girl, okay? <laughs> because <laughs> it seems, it might seem out of place in a startup conversation, but Don and I early on when we first became partners, I don't know if you remember this, you have to, we had succession planning talks with a lawyer from Western New England University. Oh, we sure did, you yep. <laughs> And uncomfortable stuff like Don's like, hey, if you drop dead, I don't want your son turning up on Monday, like, because you're so not running business with you. Yeah, he <laughs> so has I'm all these ideas. He's like, no, because I've had some ideas. You know, I'm like, uh, go sit out somewhere. I do not want to run this business with you. you know? <laughs> but it was great to have those conversations because the attorneys did um, tell us what the options were, and that, no, there was a way for her son to get all of Natasha's profits out of the business, but had no, no actual decision-making power, no power in the business. I thought, oh, that sounds really good to me, you know? <laughs> and and uh, to my lazy son as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess we're going to be winding down a little bit. We've covered a lot of topics today. Um, you know, if you're listening and you, there's stuff that you want us to talk about, um, questions that you have, um, go ahead and email us at info at the lionessgroup.com and um, just put um, on behalf of all women in the subject line. And, yeah, ask those questions because we'd love to get feedback from you and hear, you know, what are the pressing things on your mind as a female entrepreneur? Um, what is it that you want to talk about? Yeah, you guys are really good. Don has like a questionnaire when you sign up for Lioness that basically says, you know, why did you sign up for Lioness? And so some of you guys have responded, and we love hearing that feedback of of why you signed up. So to me, this is just another extension of, okay, you know why you signed up. How can we specifically talk about some of the stuff that you care about? So I just, I love that idea. 
Okay, so this is a wrap on this episode. Uh, we talked a little bit about women who are rocking zebra companies, and so we want the world to know on behalf of all women, our businesses are real. They're actually making money, and we need you to help us turn our zebra companies into unicorns. Absolutely. Bet on us. It's a safe bet. It's a safe bet. So until next time, unleash the lioness within and rock your day. Bye.